Mostert going to get it, going to run right, and going to have a big run. Down to the 10, makes a move, and he's in for the touchdown. A 40-yard run for Raheem Mostert, his third of the year. And an extra that right there is courtesy of Fox in the NFL. Um, Mostert's 40-yard touchdown run. Mostert was definitely the MVP of the day for the 49ers. We'll get into that a little bit uh, throughout this podcast. This is the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. Wanted to thank you guys for tuning in, and we got a fun one for you guys today. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. My name is Zach Hernandez. You can find me on Twitter at Zach Hernan. You can follow the podcast at RGS Pod. Um, I'm joined by, as always, by my good friend, Anthony Perry. Anthony, let the folks know where to find you and how you doing tonight. What's going on, guys? It's your boy, Perry, back with another edition of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. Uh, how's it going, Zach? You know, it was a tough loss, but uh, I don't think it was as tough of a loss as people think. I mean, it's really frustrating to lose by a field goal once again, but honestly... Just like we talked about in the Seattle game, I really believe the better team lost again, and I can't wait to break it down and move forward with it. But uh, as always, guys, to find me on Twitter, Perry underscore 49ers. That's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49-E-R-S. Let's get it rolling, man. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah, yeah, we definitely do. And, um, you know, this game kind of left the same taste in your mouth as the Seattle did. Seattle game did. Um, just get right into it. Obviously, I'm sure we all know the 49ers unfortunately lost uh, as time expired with the Justin Tucker field goal. Uh, the final score was 20-17, to 17, uh, Baltimore. Uh, scoring summary, 49ers were able to strike first on their opening drive with a 33-yard pass to Debo Samuel, who had a beast of a touchdown reception uh, over Marcus Peters, I believe. And then uh, the Ravens would answer with a... Uh, I think they answered on a um, fumble recovery, actually, from Jimmy Garoppolo. And two plays later, they, uh, Lamar Jackson hit tight end Mark Andrews in the end zone with a 20-yard pass. And then Lamar Jackson would have another one-yard touchdown run in the second quarter to give them up 14-7. Uh, following Shortly after that, Raheem Moster had a beautiful 40-yard touchdown run to tie it up at 14. And just... Uh, before halftime, Justin Tucker would hit a 30-yard field goal to give the Ravens a 17-14 lead going into halftime. Uh, right out of the third quarter, Robbie Gold would connect on a 32-yard field goal. Uh, and then, of course, the final score would be a Justin Tucker 49-yard field goal as time expired, unfortunately. The one asterisk in all of there is um, right to end the second, uh, excuse me, the first half. Robbie Gold did miss a, I believe it was a 51-yard field goal. So, I mean, weather conditions, and apparently, from what I what I'm being told, they said on the gamecast, I didn't see it myself, but apparently, Armstead was beat by Humphrey, I believe, and they were able to tip Gold's field goal, and that's maybe why, or you know, it was missed. Um, Anthony, you know, what stuck out to you the most on on defense? I think. You know, it was hard to pinpoint what really stuck out, but, uh, you know, if I had to pinpoint one thing in particular, I think it's Fred Warner's play, man. He is just an absolute beast. He had another game with 11 total tackles, including two pass deflections. Uh, no sacks, no tackles for loss, but he did have eight solo tackles also. You know, Warner's just 
proving time and time again why he deserves to be a pro bowler and arguably an all-pro linebacker. That's how good the guy is playing. He's an absolute stud. Uh, other things that stood out, you know, Baltimore ran for 178 yards, but they only averaged 4.7 yards a carry, which is pretty much about league average in the NFL. So all in all, the Niners did a fantastic job at stopping Baltimore's run. It was frustrating at times to see some big gains here and there, but overall, you know, the Niners defense and Robert Sala did a good job. You know, Lamar Jackson, 16 carries, 101 yards, obviously a touchdown. His longest run, though, was only 14 yards, so he ran the ball more than, you know, the starting running back, Mark Ingram, who carried it for 15 times, 59 yards. You know, overall, they did a good job of stopping these guys, you know. It's frustrating to see Lamar scramble, but that's kind of who he is. That's his play style. That's what they've sent that offense around. You know, we kind of got to experience that when Greg Roman was with the Niners and Colin Kaepernick in 2013. But uh, I digress, man. Overall, the defense did a fantastic job of slowing down the Ravens' offense, which came in as the best in the league. And I think overall in the day, they only finished with 283 total yards of offense. So overall, you know, you can't blame the defense for doing anything wrong. I guess you can argue that they only got one sack, and that was from DeForest Buckner. But, I mean, you know, Lamar Jackson only passed the ball 23 times, you know. You're not going to get five, six, seven sacks, even three or four sacks on just 23 pass attempts. So overall, the entire defense was really efficient. They did everything that they could. And, you know, at the end of the game, the game was decided by one possession and arguably one turnover. So what can you say, man? The defense was phenomenal, though. They're living up to expectations. And, you know, we can't expect anything less from these guys because they're clearly a top two defense in the league right next to New England. Yeah, I mean, Fred Warner, time in, time out, game after game, just continues to prove that he's playing. Um, I'm going to go further than Pro Bowl. I'm going to say he's playing at an all-pro level. He had another game with a double-digit total tackles, and I think he's just totally, totally exceeding expectations for the second year of his career. Um, and as far as you, you know, what you just said, I totally agree with, but I would go one step further again and say that they've actually surpassed New England as the best defense in the NFL um, the, the, these Ravens kind of whooped the New England Patriots not too long ago. The Ravens tonight got whooped by Houston Texans. You haven't seen the 49ers defense give up that sort of performance to where you're kind of grimacing and, you know, hiding your, your hand behind, or hiding your head behind your hands the whole game. And they, they've been stout game, game after game. As far as, uh, my, my choice for who stood out to me on defense, I got to go with, with the, the rookie Drake Greenlaw, man. Um, he wasn't amazing. However, there were a lot of plays in a game like today where he could have really, really been, you know, fatally in the wrong position or made a, some really, really dumb mistakes. And for the most part, he didn't make any of them. Um, were there some times where he was caught out of position? Sure. But the entire defense was, um, it seemed like nobody, nobody had ever even heard of the zone read. Nobody had even knew that Lamar Jackson was a running quarterback they, you know, overcommitted on the running back every single play, and it drove me crazy. I could not understand why they kept doing it. Um, but Greenlaw, after, you know, I saw the entire game, I thought Greenlaw played a really, really good game. Uh, second today in total tackles with eight, only behind Fred Warner, uh, aforementioned, with 11. So I got to give it up to Drake Greenlaw. I think he's really, really coming into his own. Um, he, you know, as we all know, he came in for Quan Alexander after Quan Torres Peck. So I think that 
Um, he's the perfect, perfect guy to kind of spell this team while Quan gets injured. But, you know, what can you do as far as defending Lamar Jackson? The 49ers did keep him to his lowest uh, offensive output of the entire season. The Ravens as a whole, lowest output of their entire season as far as points-wise. Second lowest outing as far as total yards-wise. So the defense, you know, they did step up, even though um, they weren't able to step up when it mattered most. And that kind of leads me to my next question. Were you concerned with the 49ers defense's inability to get off the field at the end of the game when it mattered the most? Nah, not at all. But I'm going to flip the question and I'm going to say that I was more concerned that the defense couldn't get off the field in the first half, dude. I think the first half, the Niners only had like nine minutes of time of possession or like 11 to the Ravens is what, like 24 you know, I know those numbers sound kind of off, but the point being is that the Ravens had the ball for a long time in the second half, and uh, that can mentally drain teams early, and obviously physically, and, you know, what can you do? But overall, I don't think that was too much of a problem. I mean, again, at that point in the game, the rain is still coming down. You know, the defense can only do so much. They got a couple gifted calls here in the fourth quarter, but... uh you know, I digress, man. I can't knock the defense for having a very fantastic performance throughout the day. It's just, you know, what can you do? I mean, clearly the Niners defense came into this, rain or not, that they generally struggled stopping mobile quarterbacks. And I don't mean stopping in the sense that they can contain them per se, but stopping them into where you can think like, ah, oh, they're just going to bust out for that one big scramble. It's just going to happen. And obviously it happened with Lamar. It happened with Russell Wilson. It's happened with Kyler Murray. And, you know, we talked about it last time. I don't necessarily think it's the Achilles heel of the team, but it's one thing that they're going to have to definitely be more fine about going forward. And, you know, luckily for the Niners, the last good mobile quarterback they had to play in the regular season is Russell Wilson. So that'll be a break, but, you know, we'll get there. We'll get there at some point. But overall... I, again, I think it was the inability to get off the field in the first half, man, because you saw how bad it was wearing on the Niners' defense. But overall, they were getting stops and they were making plays. It seemed like Lamar Jackson was generally frustrated all afternoon. So, you know, it goes both ways. But I think the first half was bigger than the second half. Okay. All right. And, you know, I can see that, but I got to respectfully disagree. I definitely think um, I wouldn't go as far as saying it's concerning but it was definitely frustrating. Um, you hold yourself to this elite level of one of the top defenses, if not the top defense in the entire NFL. Um, you're paid big money to do your job. And the entire last, I want to say, six-minute stretch, um, they weren't able to get off the field when it absolutely mattered most. And um, I know the 49ers, you know, they had a questionable play call. We'll get into a little later on a fourth and one. They weren't able to convert. Ravens took over right then and there. And I was thinking in my in my mind, I had no doubt in my mind that the 49ers would at least get one shot here. Um, the offense would get one more shot here before the game was over. And the defense wasn't able to kind of to give them that. And um, I know credit to the Baltimore offense. You know, they definitely made some plays today. But I definitely would have liked to see the defense step it up and, you know, make a stop where it was really, really needed. And they couldn't do it. Um, I definitely hope that they're able to learn from this moving forward. Like you said, mobile quarterbacks, they seem to just, you know, they're not lighting the 49ers up in any, by any stretch of imagination. 
However, they are a little more out of the the norms that this team is used to playing. And their rushing attack, which has been, you know, elite the entire year, they lead the NFL in sacks. It doesn't really bode well against a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, a quarterback like Russell Wilson, a quarterback like Kyler Murray. So they kind of had to do some things differently. And I don't think they really felt comfortable doing that. So it, it was it was frustrating. I wouldn't say concerning. I don't think it's a point of emphasis moving forward. Um, however, if they do face a team like Baltimore, you know, if they happen to make it to the Super Bowl, because that would be the next time they, they face them, I definitely think they're going to have to attack this from a different angle because what they did today, it worked containing Lamar Jackson. However, it didn't work stopping Lamar Jackson. As we saw, he was able to drive the Ravens down the field and win the game for them. So it, it, it definitely was frustrating that they weren't able to get off the field when it mattered most, but I wouldn't say it was concerning. Um, and, and, you know, you, you kind of talked about the first half and that the 49ers, wasn't, they weren't able to get off the field in, mainly in the first half, their defense. Why weren't they able to stop Lamar Jackson running um, on the first half? It seemed like every time I looked up, he, he had a, a carry for, you know, 10, 15 yards. What was the deal with that? Contain, 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 dude. I was screaming it on Twitter and to my girlfriend's parents and to my girlfriend and to myself all morning was just contain Lamar Jackson. And there was a lot of times when the defensive ends would pinch and they would crash and they, you know, they'd commit to Mark Ingram or Gus Edwards and they'd fail to pick up Lamar Jackson, who clearly had the ball. So something like that is discipline. It's, you know, I understand that literally seconds are valuable in the NFL, especially on defense when plays are happening, but you got to be able to recognize and you got to be able to diagnose. And I know the Niners haven't faced a team like the Ravens where a lot of their offense is designed on power runs with Lamar Jackson and option runs with Lamar, but you had to imagine that they've been preparing for this all week and yet they still couldn't necessarily stop it they contained him i do think they contained him but uh overall when it mattered they couldn't stop it and you had guys like bosa armstead one of the linebackers were just over committing and failing to pick up the ball carrier and that primary ball carrier was lamar jackson again he led the team in carries with 16 so you know you noticed that a lot in the first half and you arguably noticed it in the third quarter too i think the team did a fantastic job of stopping it for the most part in the fourth quarter but you know, we just brought that up, dude. The Ravens couldn't get off the, or excuse me, the Niners couldn't get the Ravens' offense off the field in time. And, you know, you give them that much time to run the ball and run the clock out, and look what happens. You lose the game. So, throughout the game, I don't think the Niners really did a good job at containing Lamar Jackson. A lot of the guys were blowing contain once again, but the adjustments were there and they got better over time. But the difference between Lamar Jackson running for 100 yards versus Lamar Jackson running for you know, 60 yards is being able to contain him. And quite frankly, the defensive line failed that. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail right on the head. It was, for some reason, they kept overcommitting to the running back even when they knew Lamar Jackson was likely going to keep it. And to me, I would much rather overcommit to Lamar Jackson and be wrong because if you're wrong, um, if you're wrong with you know, uh, Mark Ingram getting the ball, that that's not going to be as deadly as Lamar Jackson getting the ball because he's a lot quicker. He's a lot more agile. He's a lot more likely to make somebody miss. And 
when when you overcommit to a guy like Mark Ingram, Lamar Jackson's definitely going to make somebody miss, and he's going to be busting out the play downfield for another 10 yards and a first down. So it was just extremely frustrating. I didn't understand what they were doing. And it seemed like every time the, the, the defensive end was cracking down, no matter what, even though he knew he had no chance at making the tackle from where he was, why are you just dropping down instead of trying to make a play, keeping contained, keeping the edge, not allowing you know Lamar or whoever it may be on the Ravens' offense to get edge? They, they just couldn't stop him. It didn't make any sense at all. No matter what the, the Ravens were doing, it seemed like every single you know handoff, play fake, whatever you want to call it, Eric Armstead tackled Mark Ingram no matter what. No matter what, he didn't even care. He wasn't even looking who had the ball. He was tackling Mark Ingram. And it's like, dude, open your eyes. Just look. Just take a second and see. You know, if you have the chance to be there right when he's handing off the ball, get both of them. I don't care what you have to do. Just, you know, more often than not, Lamar Jackson's going to keep it himself. So I don't understand what they were doing. But I think it was as simple as that. I think they were just constantly overcommitting and overselling on preventing the running backs or the tight ends or whoever was in the backfield from getting the ball and not even not even concerned about Lamar Jackson possibly running it up the field himself, which he did more often than not today. So I don't understand. Um, I feel like they definitely made uh, some adjustments, but that, that leads me right into my next question. Which adjustments did you notice that were made at halftime by the 49ers, offense and defense, whichever one you want to choose? They were a lot more effective with the option run plays and whatnot. Uh, obviously, they couldn't stop him on fourth and one when it mattered. But I digress. They did a good job at containing him in the fourth. They did a good job at containing the run game in the fourth. And it just came down to X's and O's and execution, man. And at the end of the day, the only way you can win and lose games is based on execution. And quite frankly, it came down to one play or two plays whether it's a fumble recovery, whether it's the Niners failing on fourth and one, whether it's a missed field goal by Robbie Gold. You know, you can nitpick everything, but at the end of the day, it all falls on execution. But back to defensive adjustments, man. Uh, they did a good job at containing Lamar in the fourth quarter. You know, overall, the passing game of the Ravens was not that good. Lamar only passed for, what, 105 yards on 14 completions? So that wasn't necessarily an adjustment. A lot of it was due to the rain, but, I, you know, a lot of people talked about, and a lot of analysts talked about, to beat the Ravens, you had to make Lamar pass. And at times when Lamar was passing, it felt like the Ravens were very vulnerable with their offense. I mean, he only averaged 4.4 yards per attempt per pass. So overall, the Niners defense being able to force Lamar to throw and try to make him make a play with not his feet was the one thing that the Niners defense had going for them. And, you know, overall, they just did a good job of containing the pass game. The secondary was light out. You know, obviously, they had the one slip up to uh, Mark Andrews with the busted coverage after a fumble recovery. But overall, you know, what can you do? It happens in football. It all falls on execution. And as for the offense, uh, you know, I think the best adjustment was not letting Tevin Coleman run as much. You know, I like Coleman a lot. I really do. But throughout the day, Raheem Mostert was clear and by far the strongest runner they had. And look at what he did. I think it was 19 carries, 143 yards, one touchdown, 146 yards. He averaged 7.7 .7 yards per run, man. He was clearly the best runner on the team. He was clearly the most effective on the team. And, you know, that's all you can really ask from the guy. So I guess 
Kyle Shanahan's ability to just feed Mostert. And God, Zach, we'll, we'll get into it more later with that questionable fourth and one call. But uh, just the ability to feed Mostert, give him the ball, open running lanes for him, and just you know put the Ravens on edge is you know the biggest adjustment the Niners could have made with offense going forward because Garoppolo had a really good day, but he didn't have that kind of day. And I mean, what can you expect though? It's rainy conditions, rainy weather. You know, I was listening on the rain on the radio on the way home today from work and. Uh, the dude on the radio was like, yeah, I don't know if we can expect Garoppolo to put up those kind of gaudy numbers everyone expects from him, especially after a game like today. And I was thinking, bro, it was raining like cats and dogs out there, and it was hella cold and hella windy. How do you expect him to go out there and complete 30 passes for 300-plus yards and three touchdowns? You know, He might as well run for 100 yards, too, if that's what you're expecting from him. But, uh, nah, man, you know, Garoppolo had another one of those game-managed be careful with the ball type of days. And, you know, he went out there and showed it. 15 completions, 21 uh, attempts, 165 yards, a touchdown, no picks, one loss fumble. So he had a pretty efficient day. But overall, I think, I guess you can say the adjustment for Shanahan to just primarily run the ball, keep feeding Mostert, and trying to move the chains, trying to run clock out, keep Lamar off the field was the biggest thing they could do throughout the game on offense. Yeah, I mean... As far as defense for me, I uh, definitely think the 49ers made a key adjustment. And as far as uh, how they defended Lamar Jackson, it seemed like the whole first half he was on a roll. And uh, no matter what the 49ers did, he was able to, he had an answer. Whether they, you know, whether it was running or passing, it seemed like he he had an answer. And um, I think in the second half, if if I'm reading these stats correctly, he was only 6 for 9 for 43 yards for 4.8 yards per attempt and then he only had eight carries for 44 yards rushing which is 5.5 yards per carry so the 49ers defense definitely stepped it up I don't know if they were showing different looks I don't know what it was but Salah yet again proved that he's able to make adjustments at halftime and come out second half and kind of answer to their own mistakes in the first half and I, I, I thought that was really good to see. And it was it was noticeable. You could tell that the 49ers defense was stepping it up in the second half. Unfortunately, they weren't able to completely step it up when they needed to the most, like we spoke to. But they still were playing a lot better. And they weren't allowing the long, time-chewing drives that the, the Ravens had in the first half. So I thought that was good. And as far as the offense, I totally agree. I totally agree. I thought the one, the one you know key adjustment was giving the ball to Mostert. I kept telling you know my fiance they need to keep feeding Mostert. They need to keep feeding Mostert because he was killing it. He was the best player. I, I'm gonna go as far as say on on both sides of on both teams. I thought he was the best player on the field today. And I know that might sound crazy when you're playing the likely MVP in Lamar Jackson, but I honestly think Mostert was a better player today. And you know Lamar Jackson, he was electrifying on the ground. Sure, he didn't have that insane run. I thought he kind of had. The, the the large number of uh, yards just by volume of runs and he only he barely topped three digits in, in throwing I thought Mostert was a lot better as a football player and I thought that they the Niners did the good job in realizing a that Coleman wasn't having it that it just wasn't his type of running style that was going to be that was going to succeed today and B that they were doing much better on the ground with Mostert than they were throwing with Jimmy and not only that, it's likely a safer choice. So I thought that that was a hell of an adjustment to realize it, that Mostert had the hot hand. 
And, um, you know, going up against his former team, which I didn't even know he was with the Baltimore Ravens. It wasn't until pregame that I happened to read um, one of the, the pregame matchups that he was with them for, I think, like an eight-week stretch to, to begin his career. And then he was kind of waved, and he was even saying it was a very weird time. They kind of, I was, you know, in with them for eight weeks, and then they kind of, I played one game. I thought I was playing my ass off on special teams, and then they called me in saying, we're cutting you, go home. And then they called me saying, oh, just kidding, we're not cutting you. And then they found out that I actually went home. And then they got mad and then they actually did cut me. So it seemed like he had some bad blood there. And I I almost want to say that's why he played so well. He, he was kind of, you know, very, very, he, he had that chip on his shoulder going back to Baltimore. And, you know, I don't blame him. I thought that he, he played a hell of a game. And it was nice to see him have a career day like he had today. Um you kind of spoke to it a little bit there in your answer as far as the 49ers halftime adjustments. What did you think of Jimmy Garoppolo's overall performance today? I thought he was good. You know, I didn't mean to come off as if it sounded like I thought he could have done better. But, you know, based on what I saw on social media, people made it sound like he could have done a lot better. But, uh, again, dude, it's raining, you know, cats and dogs. The wide receivers can't really get much footing. I mean... Let me look at my stats here. Overall in the day, uh, Garoppolo only completed one, two, three, four, five, nine passes to wide receivers. So, you know, on the day he had 15 completions overall, but nine completions to wide receivers. So, you know, guys weren't getting open for the most part. You know, Sanders had a couple good comeback routes. Uh, Garoppolo overthrew him, I think, once or twice. You know, wet conditions, what can you do? But uh, overall, Garoppolo had a pretty nice and efficient day. You know, outside the fumble, I felt like he took care of the ball very well. I think there's only one throw where I was like, dude, where, what are you doing? Where are you throwing it? What's going on? But, uh, you know, Garoppolo is due for one of those or two of those a game. So overall, Zach, I thought he did really well. Uh, you know, the stats don't show it. You had to watch the game to really see how Garoppolo did. But given the conditions, 15 completions, 21 attempts, 165 yards, uh, I'll take that. I really will. In a game that was dominated by both rushing offenses i mean lamar is the same thing he didn't pass that well at all you know both teams ran the ball they needed to run the ball and they needed their quarterbacks to go out there and execute when they had to and quite frankly i thought uh garoppolo was the better quarterback on the day overall i mean he's not going to run for 100 yards and i know jackson can put the offense in better situations for the ravens but when it calls for passing when it calls for the quarterback to make a throw I think I would go with Garoppolo because he's, uh, you know, he's just a more reliable guy than Lamar Jackson, and Garoppolo really didn't do anything to put the team in a bad situation outside of a fumble. So he did good, man. He did really good. He's working up to those expectations everyone is holding him to, and going forward, I think he's still going to ball out. I think he's still going to have a really nice and solid season going forward. Yeah, and you know, I thought he, I thought he played pretty well too. Um, I kind of took some flack from this on Twitter. But I, I tweeted out at right when the fumble happened. I said, it almost seems like he doesn't have that internal clock ticking. Ticking, you know, like, like all the great quarterbacks do. As soon as they feel the pressure, even if they don't feel the pressure, once that gets to, you know, one and a half, two seconds, two and a half seconds, that ball either needs to be out or you need to be, you know, running for a first down. Whatever it may be, you got to have that internal clock ticking. I just don't see it with Garoppolo yet. I know he's still young in his playing career. I know it can it can be something that can be learned. However, I don't see it yet, and it's extremely frustrating. Um, you know, just like that play today when he had that fumble. Uh, 
that was a play where he easily could have just gone down. It seemed like he was almost still fighting not to get sacked or fighting to for another yard or two, fighting not to be sacked for, you know, three yards instead of four. So I, I didn't really understand it. And that's what I think ultimately led to the led to the fumble was that he was so determined not to go down right away. So that that was really frustrating to me. I think he needs to work on that and he'll he'll be a more complete quarterback and a more well-rounded quarterback. But for the most part, there really wasn't much to nitpick today. I mean, six incompletions, 165 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. And aside from that sack and fumble, he really, you know, he played a clean game. And in this weather, this sort of environment, it was a very, very electric game. You could feel it. It, it, People are already calling it the first playoff game of the season. And I thought he played really well for the most part. And I agree with you. I agree with you in the sense that as far as passing, I thought he was the better passer today. Lamar didn't make any throws that kind of wowed me. He didn't make any throws that kind of made me go, wow, that's definitely the MVP. Um, He's light years ahead of Jimmy Garoppolo as a passer. That wasn't the case. Um, And, and, you know, as far as Jimmy, was he perfect? No. I just said he could work on the internal clock. And also, he's He's still, unfortunately, due for those one to two boneheaded throws. And luckily today, uh, there's one that I can think of off the top of my head. It was a little out route to George Kittle, and he threw it at him, and he totally underthrew it, and the defender had the inside track on it. And he's very lucky that wasn't a pick six, because I think if that was intercepted, the defender could have easily have ran it in. So that was that was his boneheaded throw, in my opinion, and he's lucky that the defense wasn't able to capitalize on it. So I thought he played well. I think it's um, a good stepping stone moving forward. Anytime Jimmy doesn't have an interception in a game, um, it's always a big positive. Unfortunately, it wasn't you know enough, obviously, since we're talking about it as a loss here. Now, Anthony, we kind of talked about Mostert earlier and um, him being the key halftime adjustment for the 49ers offense. Do you think he should be featured in the running game more moving forward? Why do you think he was the only running back that was able to have success today for the 49ers? I think it's just his running style to to go off of why I thought he was most successful. The dude is a yak and rack monster. He knows how to evade tackles. He knows how to just get into the open field and make men miss. And that's what it felt like he did all afternoon was just make his men miss. And the guy was breaking tackles. The guy was getting yards. And I think – I don't know what was wrong with Tevin Coleman – I think Shanahan recognized early that Coleman just wasn't getting it done. I know one of Coleman's biggest knocks, in my opinion, is that he doesn't diagnose running lanes well. I think he doesn't hit holes quickly. He takes a lot longer to recognize, almost like a little Le'Veon Bell. But I don't think it's that Tevin, you know, Tevin Coleman doesn't have the patience like Le'Veon does. And, you know, even Le'Veon doesn't have the offensive line to open up holes, which is why he's having such a down year. But... You know, overall, Tevin Coleman just couldn't get it going, and Raheem Mostert just, you know, a lot of people talk about Raheem Mostert's running style, and the way I see it is he runs like he's shot out of a cannon. I mean, he goes up, and he just takes off. The dude just has such quick acceleration and such quick feet that the guy is going 0-60 to in, you know, two seconds. That's how fast he is. So I think it's that kind of running style to just hit the edge quickly, turn the corner, beat the edge defenders, beat the linebackers trying to chase him down because 
you know, Mostert has sneaky good speed. A lot of people don't talk about it enough, but Mostert is a very fast player. You see him on punt returns and kick returns as the gunner, and you see how fast he gets to the ball carrier, and it's like, you look at him running that fast, now imagine what he does in open field. Imagine what he does when he has a lane, and I mean, a perfect example of it was the 40-yard touchdown. Look how fast he ran. That dude was flying. I mean, he hit that hole 0-60 to in two seconds once again, so... You know, overall, I think Mostert's ability to just be quick, be fast, arguably one of the fastest accelerators in the league, is a lot of the reason why he ran for 146 yards. And on top of that, too, the Niners' offensive line was opening holes all afternoon. And it starts with guys like George Kittle, Mike McGlinchey, Western Rickberg. You know, I think Mostert's best side was the right side. And, you know, when Kittle, McGlinchey, and Juice are all on that one side, you know, good things are happening. So. Overall, man, the offensive line opened holes well. Mostert took care of those holes, and he got the job done, you know? I don't think you could have asked for any more from him than today's game because, again, the guy was a baller, and he's probably going to win FedEx Ground Player of the Week. You know how, like, the NFL does, like, FedEx Aaron Ground? You know, if they don't give it to Lamar Jackson stupidly, it should go to Mostert because Mostert balled out. Oh, my gosh. If they give that, that award... And I, I think it's a, a fan's vote for award, but I think if they if they give that to Lamar Jackson over Raheem Mostert, it just goes to show that the entire NFL fan base and the NFL itself just, you know, praises Lamar Jackson. I tweeted earlier, he could breathe, and you could hear the comment, commentators go, oh my gosh, we've never seen anybody breathe like that. Like, it's just insane the amount of praise that he gets. And look, the guy is an electric player. He reminds me of Colin Kaepernick when Kaepernick bursted onto the scene and he's, you know, he, he might even be a better passer, but that's that's kind of yet to be seen. However, I think he's a great player right now. I think he's definitely MVP worthy. But with all that being said, the guy is worthy of criticism. He's not a god. He's not the best player ever. He still is going to make mistakes. He's still young in his career. It's a, it, you know, it's okay to criticize him. Yet the NFL and all these commentators and all the media doesn't really seem like that's allowed. So I, I just think it's funny to point out. Um, and as far as my original question, Mostert, should he be featured more? To be honest with you, I think it really depends on the type of game. This was the perfect game for him. I think his speed and his patience as a runner kind of allowed him to find success today. Whereas Coleman wasn't able to. I think Coleman's more of a, a one-cut kind of downhill runner and he has the speed once he gets into that that second level of the defense. However, he's not going to ex- show you it when he's breaking through the, the offensive and defensive line through the trenches right there. And he's more of a follow-your-block type of runner, whereas uh, most of we were able to see today, he was kind of able to make his own lane, kind of able to find his own hole and get the big run. So I think that it really, really just depends on what type of game, um, what type of running back each game calls for. And to be honest with you, I think that's what makes the 49ers running game so lethal is the fact that they have three really, really good running backs. And, you know, you could even argue four, three really good running backs and an above average back in Jeff Wilson, who's, you know, you can you can argue he's above average at goal line situation. Sure, whatever you want to be. I like Jeff Wilson. I know you do, too. But I think that that's what makes the running game work so effectively is, you know, when Breed is healthy, he's I, I'm willing to say a top five, top six NFL running back. You got Coleman, you got Mostert, and you got Jeff Wilson punching it in from the goal line. I think that's what really, really works for this team is that they have an answer for whatever 
whatever week it is, whatever team they're playing, whatever defense they're facing, they can throw in Coleman. They can throw in Moser. They can throw in Brita. They can throw in Wilson. So I think that that's what really, really works for this team moving forward against the Saints. I think um, it's probably going to go back to Brita. They're definitely going to need more of a speed guy. However, I wouldn't be surprised if Mostert is featured more moving forward. And um, like I said earlier, I think the reason why he was able to have success is because he was able to create his own lanes. He was able to burst through and have patience to wait for the holes to develop. Whereas Coleman, I don't want to say wasn't, but he wasn't showing that today. Um, Now, Anthony, were there any wide receivers today that stuck out to, to you in particular? Uh... Overall in the day, I mean, Debo Samuel had that really nice touchdown catch, but he didn't really do much after that. He had another catch. I think it was, I think it was like a nine-yard catch, ten-yard catch, and uh, he also had a nice twenty-yard carry. But uh, overall, man, I mean, the wide receivers they had a they had a nice game in terms of the conditions. I'll read the numbers to you. Kendrick Bourne three catches, forty-two yards. Debo Samuel two catches, forty-one yards, a touchdown. And Emmanuel Sanders, four catches, 41 yards. So, you know, a lot, very similar between the three. Uh, you know, they didn't, they weren't spectacular, but they got the job done. And I mean, the game called for the teams to run the ball heavily. So I guess you can say that the wide receivers made the most of their opportunities. You know, I think Debo Samuel had one drop and that was like his very first target. But uh, overall, man, you know, what can I say? What can you say? The wide receivers did their jobs. They did what they were supposed to do. It kind of sucks that they're not being featured more, but I think I'm only saying that because of the wet, rainy conditions. And I mean, you're not going to ask Garoppolo to pass the ball 30 times in wet conditions. So the wide receivers being effective when they were given the call, I think is what matters. And coming into this New Orleans game, man, when we go in the dome, I know I tweeted it out, but I am so happy they're playing inside the dome, dude. I don't care if it's New Orleans. I don't care how raucous and loud the crowd is. The fact that they're in a dome without any rain, like I don't have to watch any of this bullcrap rain stormy games again because the rain is so frustrating. It's just going to be like, it's going to be relief on my heart, man. I don't need to see fumbles and picks and you know, do slipping and sliding and just, I'm tired of the rain, bro. I'm tired of the rain. But uh, overall, the wide receivers weren't spectacular, but they also were solid. Yeah, and I think, you know, Debo, like you said, he was a good choice. He had that hell of a, of a beastly touchdown catch to start the game. I'm actually going to go with Kendrick Bourne, though. I think Bourne has really, really stepped it up. And although he's not lighting up the stat sheet, he's not catching 400 yards receiving every game. I think after that Seattle game um, where he kind of got a lot of flack for um, a lot of drops and whatnot, I actually think he, he stepped it up really, really a good amount. And um, today, he you know, three, three catches on three targets, like you said, 42 yards. And I think he's doing what's asked of him. And um, he's definitely not one to complain. He's a solid role player. And I think he's got a really good spot in this team. As long as he keeps progressing in his, you know, his, his development as a receiver. And I, I think, uh, excuse me, Emmanuel is the perfect, perfect veteran to have on the team specifically for that reason. There's a lot of young receivers on this group, on this team that need a veteran presence. And I think Emmanuel is doing just that. And I don't think it's, you know, any coincidence that we've kind of seen Bourne's 
stock essentially rise since Emmanuel's been on this team. I think Bourne's taking things more seriously. I think he's willing to put in the work and I think he's willing to kind of go in there and make the tough catch, make the play when he's needed. And I think it's great to see. Um, I, I the, the fact that he had no drops in a game like today, wet, rainy, really, really, you know, tough environment. You could definitely feel like it was a playoff game. I thought that that spoke volume of where he was as a receiver and as a player, really, not just a, a wide receiver. All right, Anthony, we have to talk about the infamous fourth and one call. Um, unfortunately, it seems like in every big game for the 49ers, there's one of these plays that's controversial that comes down that the 49ers fans are going to talk about for years to come as we all know now the 49ers they had a fourth and one game on the line essentially uh looking back now they wouldn't get the ball back after that um they for some reason went out there chose to throw the ball instead of run it and the ball was tipped right at the line of scrimmage incomplete the 49ers turned over on downs and the rest was history the ravens would get the ball drive down the field and kick a field goal as time expired was it the right call I think going for it on fourth and one was the right call, but I don't think the pass play was the right call. So let me get something across in my opinion. On both fourth down attempts, the Niners attempted to pass it. Obviously, one was completed, one wasn't. The difference, though, was that I think one was in the first quarter and then one was in the fourth quarter when, you know, ultimately it was the, it was the deciding factor in the game. And I think... At that point in the game, you know, the Niners were running the ball so well. You have Mostert there ready, waiting at the helm to just drive it in for a first down. And I, I, I don't know, Zach. I think, I obviously, I praise him for going in the fourth because that's what you're supposed to do. But I don't know if I had confidence in Jimmy Garoppolo passing the ball. And, you know, it's one of those things where you say, well, if he did complete it, then it doesn't matter because, you know, it was a nice play and it, that decided the game. But. The point being is that he didn't complete it and the conversion wasn't there. So overall, I think they should have ran it. They were running the ball well in that drive. They were running the ball well in the fourth quarter in particular. And just, you know, you had the opportunity there, seize it and go for it. Just run and pound that ball right in. And it's one of those hindsight things that a lot of people are going to be talking about for a long time. And I don't blame them. We're going to be also. But you have to figure that given the situation and what's going on running the ball just felt like the right thing to do it really did they were running the ball well it was the most effective thing and I think the worst thing about it was that David Lombardi on Twitter pointed it out it's just they did an awful job of selling it as a run they did an awful job of selling it as anything I mean they called the timeout to get the play established and yet it didn't work out. They didn't do a good job at executing. And I talked about how execution is the most important thing in this damn game. But when you can't even execute on fourth and one like that, when you can't even sell it or you can't even look ready, I mean, it just felt like a mess from the start. It really did. And, you know, you start like a mess, you're going to finish like a mess. And that's what happened. That's clearly what happened. And it falls on execution. It falls on play calling. And, you know, you can blame anyone you want. But I think overall, I think you can blame Shanahan. You can blame Garoppolo. You just, you know, you can find anyone to blame in that given situation. But overall, I think they should have ran the ball because Mostert was on fire. He was ready to take the rock and he was ready to pound it in there, bro. I really think they should have ran it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I can say it any better myself. Um, 
I, I agree with the decision to go for it. However, I do agree with the choice to pass the ball. Like you said, it was fourth and one. Mostert was averaging like 6.8 yards a carry or something ridiculous up until that point. And you go out there and you throw the ball right over the middle. And I mean, like you said, look, if they make that, great. However, that doesn't mean that I'm still not questioning the call. Um, I'm just happy with the results. Two big, two big, you know, there's a huge difference in the two. You can question the call and be happy with the results and, you know, not or, or be happy with the results and happy with the call. I disagree with the call. I definitely think they should have tried to pick it up on the ground, especially in the conditions that were out there today. And, um, you know, we, we spoke to Matt Llewellyn, who's in, you know, the Beniners, and he was kind of telling us, look, it's easy to criticize it from, you know, in hindsight, it's 2020, like they always say, if they make that, they pick that up, nobody's even talking about it. But I actually disagree. And I agree with Matt on mostly everything, but I disagree with him here because I, like I said, right, you know, just right now, you can still disagree with it and be happy with it. And I definitely think the 49ers, the likelihood of them picking up that first down, even if they just attempted to run it, probably goes up significantly than them lining up to pass it. So I don't understand the call. Um, I think Shanahan was trying to do too much, to be honest with you. I think he was trying to think outside of thinking outside of the box like some offensive mastermind that he is. But I honestly think he got in his own head a little too much. And um, the, the Ravens just... You know, they they made the play on the ball and they were able to stop us. And there was no going back from there. As I said, you know, the 49ers weren't able to get the ball back. The defense wasn't able to get off the field and there was nothing they could do. So it was just, it was very, very frustrating to see. Um, and I really, really hope that it's not going to be a, a play that we're talking about in a month when, you know, it comes down to seeding or when it comes down to, you know, the 49ers determining whether or not they have a first round buy or home field advantage because all we're going to hear about on Twitter from all these fans is, hey, man, if they, you know, if they if they ran the ball there, then things would be a lot different. I hope that's not the case. I know I'm not going to be one of those people. Um, while I disagree with what ended up occurring, I'm still able to accept it, move forward, tip my hat to the Ravens and say, hey, look, they played a better game today. There's nothing we can do about it, but move forward, prepare for the Saints. Um, so that's just, you know, that's just the roll of the dice. There's nothing you can do about it, like I said. But yes, um, all in all, I disagree with the call. I think they should have handed off the ball to Mostert. They probably even would have been able to pick it up with a QB sneak. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's really nothing else to say about that. And one of our last questions here, Anthony, do the 49ers need a new kicker? Uh... No, I don't think so. I mean, Robbie Gold's first kick back from like, what, three to four weeks gone was a 50-yarder in heavy, wet, rainy conditions when the dude hardly had time to warm up. And I mean, all on the broadcast, you heard about how kickers were hardly making it from 50 yards. So I think the veteran and smart play by Shanahan is to go out there and send Gold. I mean, you know... I, th I actually, I don't know, man. Actually, I take it back. I don't know. And the only reason why I say that is because you need to put gold out there and get his feet wet and get him acclimated to the game again. But at the same time, McLaughlin has been the one going out there for the past few weeks, and he hasn't kicked that bad. So, oh, brainstormer. You know what? Yeah, I think I would have let gold go out there and take the kick. Um, 
no, I don't think they need a new kicker. I think Gold is fine. I know he's been struggling, but a lot of that can be credited to not having his long snapper, which a lot of people seem to make a big deal about regarding kickers. So if the long snapper is that important to Gold, then I think that's the difference. But I honestly, you know, it kind of sounds crappy, but I honestly wasn't expecting him to make the kick. I think you're asking a lot from a kicker like that who's coming off of a decent injury for kickers. It was, what, a quad, a hamstring on his kicking leg or his plant leg? But uh, in any event, you're asking him to come off of, you know, essentially the bench to make a big kick in rainy conditions, you know, damn near half the field, and he didn't get it. So I don't think you can hold gold accountable for the most part. I don't think you can necessarily blame him. I mean, if he makes that kick, obviously, this is such a hindsight type of thing, but... If he makes that kick, then everyone talks about how good of a kicker Gold is and that, you know, he's solved his kicking problems or whatever it is. But, you know, it is what it is. I don't think they need a new kicker, although I kind of want to see McLaughlin more because if they can be competitive with McLaughlin and Gold, then I think the Niners could have their kicker of the future, especially if Gold is going to continue to struggle moving forward. Yeah, um, my answer for this simply is... No for this season, but yes for next season. I think they do need to start looking into obtaining a new kicker, whether that's from free agency, trade, whatever it may be. I think they definitely need a new kicker because we've seen Gold, after holding out to start the season, demanding more money, essentially hinting, implying that he'd rather be in Chicago where his family is. Um, and he, he he's, to be honest with you, he sucked. He sucked this year. I think he's missed just about half of his kicks this year and he's like 0 for 4 from 50 yards or more and after last year kind of having essentially you know almost an historic year I don't I don't see where the downfall is I don't understand where what took place to make him play such take such as his play excuse me his play takes such a significant downturn um so I think yes they don't they they're probably able to finish out the kicker with gold excuse me, finish out the season with gold. And if for some reason he's not producing, I, I, I agree. I would like to see McLaughlin come in. I thought he played pretty well for the most part. Um, besides that horrible kick in overtime, obviously against the Seahawks. But other than that, he had been pretty solid. So, um, but next season, yes, this season, they can probably stick it out. I think they're good enough to overcome those mistakes as long as it doesn't come down to um, a game just like, the 49ers played today where it is a field goal that's going to decide it so um yes next season yes this season no uh moving on to our rgs mailbag now our first question comes from our own steve mullen um he wants to know tevin coleman looks like he lost a step since the panthers game is it blocking scheme running style vision or play calling you know with the performance the offensive line had today, I'm not going to blame blocking scheme and offensive line because if Mostert can do it, Coleman should have been able to do it. So I think it's just I'm going to put the blame primarily on Coleman, dude. I think he's not diagnosing well. I don't know if he's hurt. I know I've been hearing here and there about how he's been dinged up, how he has some nagging leg injuries. But overall, man, he's got to go out there and execute, and he hasn't been able to do that. Now, I'm not saying this means that the Niners should not use him in the passing game as much or the run game because I do think he is still a decent runner. But if he's not 
I don't feel like he's putting the team in good situations to win or move the ball forward. I mean, it's been three to four weeks now where the dude is only averaging like three yards a carry. You know, like Steve said, something happened in that Carolina game, and then moving forward, it has not looked good since. So I don't know if it's just him not having confidence in himself, him not being able to pick up running lanes. Maybe he's just going through a slump, if you will, but... Whatever it is, man, he's going to have to figure it out because Coleman is an integral piece to this offense, and Shanahan really likes using the guy. And, you know, Coleman's going to have to make the most of his opportunities because there's only a handful of carries to go around. And now that Breed is back, Coleman can see a dip in his carries. Mostert was good. He can see an uptick in his carries. Obviously, Jeff Wilson is still on the roster, so he can always take and vulture some carries away. So... Coleman needs to prove that he's efficient and he can be effective, and he has done that, but he needs to do it on a consistent basis. And quite frankly, I think the Niners need him to do it on a consistent basis, especially uh, coming into the playoffs moving forward because they're going to need every guy to step up and every guy to be as effective as possible. And, and in terms of Shanahan's offense, it starts with the run game, and it starts with guys like Breida and Coleman. So he needs to step up, he needs to execute, and he needs to be ready to go out there and just ball out every single game yeah um i agree i agree i don't think it's so much on um play calling or running style or or blocking scheme although we did see the 49ers offensive line kind of take a downward turn in effectiveness and production um the last couple of weeks i don't think it's necessarily that i i think it's kind of what i spoke to earlier what each game is calling for um, the defense and the looks that you're facing, I think it changes week to week. And I don't think Coleman, um, I don't think his style has just fit perfectly into what the 49ers need to do to win these games that they've played. Um, more so than Brita or even a Jeff Wilson or as we saw today, Raheem Mostert. So um, I, I, I definitely think there will be a game coming up in the in the last quarter of the season that he will be needed. And I, I have no I have no concern that he's going to be able to come out and and produce, but um, I don't think there's anything to be worried about. I think he's a pro's pro, um, but I would like to see, like I said earlier, Mostert get the looks when he is needed. Um, Our next question comes from Joe on Twitter. If this game was at Levi's, do the 49ers win? You know, I think they do. I think the Niners are a significantly better team when they're not in wet, rainy conditions. I mean, overall, you're not going to play half of your games in these type of conditions, you know. And I'm not going to say it's a fluke, but I mean, weather is weather. You know, you got to be able to prepare for it. And I think the Niners did an excellent job of preparing for this weather to the best of their ability. So if this game is in Santa Clara with that type of home crowd, because the Niners should be considered as one of the better home crowds now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't think it was raining in Santa Clara today as far as I know. But even then, if it was raining, it wouldn't have been as bad as it was in Baltimore. So I think the offense, you know what? I think we would have seen a much higher scoring game, obviously. I think Lamar Jackson would have had a better day, but I also think Garoppolo would have had a better day. With the way the defense was playing, man... Yeah, I th- I think the Niners would have won, dude. I mean, obviously, I'm going to say that as a Niners homer, but you know, the Niners if, you know, if the Niners look like the better team in rainy, terrible conditions today because again, I really think they were the better team out there. I think they would have been the better team at home. 
So, yeah, I think they would have gotten away with a W in Santa Clara. Well, let me correct you real quick. It is definitely raining here in Santa Clara. Um, it is pouring outside. It's been pouring outside since Thursday or Friday, I want to say. It's pouring right now. I don't know if you could hear it in the background, but um, I, I think, yes, even with all of that being said, I think they still do win the game if it is in Santa Clara. Like you said, the 49ers um, – Fans have proven that Levi's can be um, advantageous to the 49ers to kind of give them that whole field advantage. And I think that if this game is in Levi's, um, they're, they're able to come away with the win. Um, like you said, Lamar probably puts up more numbers, but so do the 49ers. And I think Kittle likely has a bigger game. I think the receivers likely have a bigger game. So I think all of that factored in. I, I, I would say, yes, the 49ers do win um, if it's in Levi's. Or even in a neutral field, to be honest with you. Now, this last question, I know we normally do from fans. However, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. It's coming from me since nobody asked it, and I want to hear you. I want to hear what you think about it. How do you feel about the Saints game next week? It's going to be the, you know, looking at the season the last couple of weeks, people were saying the, the stretch of three games, man, the stretch of three games, Green Bay, Baltimore, New Orleans. That's going to be the toughest of the 49ers season. What do you think? We're two out of three down. How do you feel about the last third? I feel a thousand times more confident in this game than I did against the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, They're in a dome. No rain. Dude should have the chance to feast. Drew Brees has not looked that good this season. I mean, his it's clear and obvious that his arm is declined, but or declining, excuse me, but you can say that with all the aging quarterbacks. I mean, Rodgers looked good today, but Rodgers is on that downward trend somewhat. Tom Brady is obviously on the downward trend. Ben Roethlisberger, when he was healthy, he didn't look like he was going to look that good, and obviously Phillip Rivers has been terrible. But, uh, nah, I'm not nervous about the Saints. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. But I think that defensive line is going to show up and show out. I mean, D4 is going to be healthy. You know, everything should be healthy for the Niners moving forward. And overall, the Saints' offensive line has not looked good. They're missing a lot of starters. And, you know, what can I say, man? They're just going to get overmatched by our defense. And I don't think Sean Payton is going to have an answer for it. And I think we're going to see one of Kyle Shanahan's best coach games next week. But, uh, I'll save that whole spiel for our next podcast, man. Overall, though, I think coming into the Saints game, I don't care if it's in the Dome. I don't care if it's in New Orleans. This team is ready to take on anything, and I don't think they're going to let a home crowd stop them from exceeding expectations. Yeah, I agree. Um, After kind of the showing that the 49ers had today, I don't think there's anything to be worried about going into the Saints um, I know Drew Brees is a hell of a quarterback. Sean Payton's a hell of a coach. Mike Thomas is a hell of a receiver. With that all being said, I don't think the Saints are on the same level as the Ravens are, and I don't think they're on the same level as the 49ers are. We've seen the Saints being beaten by the Falcons recently, and the Falcons are just a horrible team, to be honest with you. There's really no other way to put it. Um, I know divisional games kind of have a whole different feel, and when division opponents, divisional opponents kind of play each other tough there's really no there's really no explanation for it other than the fact that they're kind of built to beat each other but with all that being said I do think the 49ers have a really really good chance of going into New Orleans next week and I'm not just gonna say win I think they they have a good chance of winning comfortably um, by seven or, or more and I think that you know 
I said it, I believe the last episode of this podcast, I said out of this three game stretch, if the 49ers have to lose a game, Baltimore is the one to lose because it's out of the conference. And I know, you know, Seattle playing tomorrow night determines whether or not the 49ers move from the first to the fifth seed or not. But it still is less hurtful than if the 49ers lost to a Green Bay or they lose to a New Orleans because then that comes into play kind of multiple in multiple ways, whereas now it's in your conference and you're moving down seeds, and then that comes into play later on. So there's just, you know, a whole bunch about it. So I thought that that was, I thought that, you know, that was just cool that they were able to at least, if they had to lose a game, at least it was this one. Um, now, kind of moving on to our uh, standard shout-outs. We only have two for you guys today. Um, Marcel Harris, we saw him today come in for an injured Jaquiski Tart. And right away, he forced uh, a fumble from Lamar Jackson and recovered it, stripped him, and recovered the fumble. That was uh, Lamar Jackson's first fumble loss this season. I thought that was pretty cool. And, um, you know, the 49ers, I think I said it earlier, but they did hold the Ravens to their lowest point total all year, 20 points, and their second lowest uh, yards, second lowest total yards all year with 283 yards. So the 49ers defense came to play. It's unfortunate they couldn't um, get off the field or come up with a stop when it mattered most. But, you know, it, you have four quarters to win the game. It's not won or lost right at the last second. So with all that being said, we really, really want to thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. Um, please review us on whatever platform you're listening in on. We really, really appreciate it. And if you guys have any questions, any concerns, any comments about the pod, about anything moving forward, you know where to find us. You can find me at Zach Hernan on Twitter at RGS Pod. Anthony, let the folks know where to find you one more time. All right, guys, as is the case to close out the podcast, to find me on Twitter, Perry underscore 49ERS. That's Perry underscore 49ers, man. And uh, good pod today. Can't wait to get into the Saints game. Obviously, we'll still bring up the saltiness of this Ravens game next time. But, uh, you know, my quick shout-out. Shout-out to George Kittle, dude. I know he didn't do much in the box score, but he looked like the best blocker on the offensive line all freaking game man george kittle's an absolute stud i know he's not putting up the box score stats but man i wish that dude would be in the mvp conversation because he is so valuable to this team but uh i digress man that was just basically a george kittle shout out and uh good show today dude can't wait till we get it rolling once again yeah the running game has been noticeably better since george kittle has returned from injury so let's just hope it's you know it, it keeps going it keeps going Um, We'll see you guys soon, and thanks again for tuning in to the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. Have a good night.